Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. For more information and to donate online, go to 3cr.org.au. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Well, good morning, everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just after 7.30. In fact, it's right on 7.30. And, of course, that means it's time for the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy. First up, of course, we have to say very good morning to Stephen Ryan from Dixonia Rare Plants. Morning, Stephen. Good morning, Pam, and good morning, everybody out there. I hope you're ready for a good day. I think it's going to be a nice one, actually. It's looking all right out there now. Yesterday was pretty dismal, I have to say. Uh, Working in the nursery yesterday, trying to pot things up in cold, wet potting mix is no fun whatsoever, Uh, but it still has to be done. And... uh, Yes, so I didn't see terribly many people in yesterday. It was fairly quiet. A few brave souls came in. Uh, But today might be a nice day to be out in the garden, might be a nice day to go to the nurseries, although they are forecasting some rain at some point. So we'll just wait and see what happens. But, you know, we need to keep getting the rain, obviously. We don't want to end up like Queensland is at the moment. So, uh, yes, let's hope that the south of Australia gets decent rains for the next month or two so that we go into spring nice and wet and soggy. Absolutely. Do you know we, at home, in the house, we've got hydronic floor heating, right? Ah, it decided to spring a leak, didn't it, the other day? (laughs) So, not only have I had a flooded cupboard and a flooded carpet in one of the rooms, but we've had to turn off all the heating, and of course they don't know when they're going to get out to me to repair it, so I've got no floor heating in the house at the moment. Yes, and if you're used to something like that, it must be something of a culture shock when you (laughs) haven't got it anymore, especially in this cold weather, because it has been quite bleakly cold. It has been bleakly cold, so the open fire has been going, but of course I can't keep that going overnight, and yeah, yeah so it's been a tad colder mm, yeah, than so I was used to. Using a few more jumpers, perhaps. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Uh, well, yeah, yes, if something's going to go wrong, it will always go wrong at the wrong moment. Oh, yeah. particularly if in, you're in an older house, we mm. seem to have gone through a whole <laughs> spate of everything uh, needing maintenance and yeah, it's just like, it happens like what's going to go wrong next uh, oh no <laughs> uh, dearie me never mind everyone faces these problems yes i guess we all do at some point or another. yep yep so a, a nice sunny day sounds great to me yes it would be good and of course it, it, the spring has really sprung i mean there's so oh, much stuff out and it's just a wonderful time of the year i mean if i don't walk around the garden virtually every morning mm. i miss something coming out yeah. which uh, which i hate to do mm. i mean i've got uh, Fritillaria Imperialis just about to open, the bright orange crown imperial. If anybody's got the double flowered one, the yellow flowered one, or the variegated leaf one out there and they don't need it, I'm very happy to have them as well. Um, and all sorts of other bulbs are, are popping out all over the place. So it's a, it's a very exciting time of the year. Oh, mm. it is. It's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. And, and with all this rain that we've had, the garden's really going to stand in good stead yeah. over this summer, I think. Well, I'm hoping so. And, I'm hoping and at so. least the weeds are easy to get out at the moment. So uh, uh, I spent most of Wednesday and Thursday crawling around on my belly virtually trying to get into the back of some borders to deal with the sticky weed and other sundry things that were starting to do their stuff. Yep. Um, so I feel quite pleased with myself. I've got two big borders cleaned up over this week and I've got another couple I've got to do before 
before the end of next week because they you know things are starting to move so fast if i don't get on top of the borders i won't be able to get in to mulch them either because mm. the the perennial material is coming up so fast that's right that it, it then becomes really an issue trying to get in and mulching so yep. uh whilst things are still comparatively dormant it's a good th- good time to get in and it's already too late for me to mulch over the beds where the bulbs are because as soon as i try and mulch in amongst bulbs I something to, else is coming up well you're getting <laughs> you knock them over and yes. you know, and, 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 the, and the mulch gets stuck down in between the leaves and it's a, it's a real nightmare to try and get the bulbs mulched this late in the season. Yep. So you really need to get the mulch over them before they really come up. Mm. Um, but, you know, gardening is always chasing your tail. You're always uh, a wee bit behind in practically everything. And I have to say the gardens all in all is looking good, so I'm quite pleased. Great. Uh, so it should be fine for our next opening, which is until December. But we've got one coming up on the... First full weekend in December. Okay. So people might like to put that in their diary. Um, and a mate's opening his garden as well, so there'll be two gardens open oh, good. Uh, in the Macedon area on that first weekend. We decided we'd like to do a really uh, about as late an opening as we could get away with yes. this time. So okay. we're calling it our summer opening, but I, I don't think see the beginning of December as really quite Not quite summer. summer. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but nonetheless, it, uh, last time I think it was an early spring opening, so it's a it's a nice change. It's good to have a different change because people get to see different plants that are oh. that are out in full bloom. Yeah. In fact, uh, you know, if your garden is uh, not just box hedging and white gravel. Um, the dynamic of how the garden changes from season to season, I think, is part of its charm. And if, mm. you've, you know, if you've got a garden that looks quite different from one season to the next, of course, people are happy to come back and have another look. Because Absolutely. they will see a whole palette of different plants they hadn't seen before. Yep. Yep. So, no, yeah, great good. idea. So we're working towards that at the moment. Okay. We have to say a very good morning to Virginia Hayward. Good morning, Virginia. Good morning. And you've just had a garden opening too, haven't you? Yes, so, just yes. it was for the guides. And I think they all loved it. It was, and the garden, my garden is wonderful at this time of year. Mm. I've counted how many clematis trees I've got, and I've got 31. And okay. So I've got a whole lot of them, and one of them's just come out, and it has dinner plate size flowers. I mean, they are a bit loud. <laughs> <laughs> Depends uh, what colour a bit. They're bright pink. Oh, they, that's loud. <laughs> they're <Yeah>. loud. <laughs> oh, that's fun. But, yeah. you know, I've got two old ones that are a... 20 foot high, and they're just covered, one in red and the other in um, red and white striped bulbs. Right. And they just look fantastic. Then I've got this this loud one. It, it must be 12, 15 foot high. Right. So they're big, and they just... Yeah. And I'm just waiting for all my green, blue ixias to come out. Oh, they're always a charm, aren't oh, they, they, when they come out? I can't grow them up our way. I don't know what it is. I, I think our soils might be too acid and maybe too no. dank in the winter or something. It's I don't know not, what it's... not too acid, but I, it could be... I think because um, I'm on top of the hill, mm. I've got sort of excellent drainage. It could mm. be yeah. dank. Yeah, it could be a bit too dank and soggy because I've tried the different sort of – I've tried the teal blue one and I've tried the, the viridiflora, the sort of – But Greg grows them. Yeah, but he's on a sort of an open plainy area. Yes, I think, I think you so, are probably yeah, a bit – I can plant them as annuals. <laughs> <laughs> and then they disappear. Mine don't flower as well as Virginia's either. Oh, and I'm God, wondering here we go. if it's because it's colder where I am mm. than you two. It's yeah. more close. Yeah, well, they are South African, which yeah, is they, a reason. Yeah, they're probably missing the, the, um, 
uh, Karoo or wherever they come from in South Africa. So uh, they certainly don't get those conditions where I am. So well, there's always a couple of pots, Stephen. Yeah, well, yes, I could, I could always. All do. my You're craving some. Yes. All my Veltimia are out too. Do you, do you grow the Veltimia? They, they get a bit frosted up our way, so they're really hard to keep. I've got to put them in so much shelter that then they don't tend to flower well. See, I've got them absolutely. I, I've got my first one. I was driving out of Seville on the Warburton Highway. And there was this dog in the middle of the road. So I pulled over and got the dog, thought, this dog is not going to live. You know, it is a highway. Yep. And um, there was only one house nearby. So I sort of picked, parked the car, picked the dog up and took it into the house. And they were just moving and the dog had got out. Oh. While the, and um, so she was very pleased. And I was walking out and I said, oh, you've got a Veltimia. This was... 10, 15 years ago, and you never used to see them for sale back then. I said, oh, how wonderful. She said, oh, would you like one, and promptly gave me one. And that Veltimia is now (coughs) 20 plants around my garden because they do multiply, and I've grown them from seed. Yep, fantastic. They've ended up in my garden from your garden and then been shared to other gardens from my garden. (laughs) (laughs) Having said that, we must introduce you, Yes, yeah, this voice coming from the background that nobody (laughs) knows who it is. A very good morning to Sue Stevens, who's head propagator there at uh, Bushland Flora Nursery. So, good morning, Sue. Good morning, Pam. Good morning, um, Virginia and Stephen and everybody out there in plant world. Yeah, it was actually nice. I stayed over in, at my sister's in Essendon today and I All couldn't right. get over how nice it is in the morning compared to how cold it is in Mount Evelyn. <laughs> <laughs> There's five degrees difference yeah. in temperature. Oh, yes, it would be. It was actually really lovely. Yep. Yeah. And I was walking around the Botanic yesterday and I was astounded at the things that are really out in the Botanic and mine are just in, in bud. Yeah, yeah. Okay. it's yeah. a huge difference. Mm. Yeah, it, it is does. a huge difference. Well, we haven't got... Oh, we've got the odd early magnolia out up our way now, but that's, you know, I mean, we're, we're still in the middle of flowering apricot season, really. But my red one's just finished. Yeah. My, so there you, go. you know, the New Zealand red one, yeah. Vulcan. Yes. But it does come out very early. Yeah, well, the only one I can think of that's out around our area at the moment is the Denudata, the pure white mm. species magnolia, which is just beautiful. And Lystellata's been out for mm. ages, too. Yeah. I love my garden at this time of year. It's, it's February when it's no good. That's right. Yeah. It is no good yeah, about near mine in yeah, February. Yeah. High summer is really hard in, in any Australian garden, I think, mm. to keep it looking good, unless you're right up in the hills somewhere where it's nice and cool. Cra- and Craig is always is absolutely fine. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah. Well, if you go to Cloud That's Hill in the middle enough. of summer, mm. I mean, it's Jeremy's borders and everything are looking gorgeous. Because I think you've got to not only be high, mm. but you've got to be protected from the north wind, yeah. or for us, the north wind, for Sydney, the west wind, whatever the, yeah, the wind really from the desert is. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, so, yeah, so I tend to hibernate a bit in the summer as far as the garden's concerned. Mm. And, of course, you spend your whole time at that time of the year just trying to keep stuff alive. So exactly. It's a, it's a yeah. very um, tense period of the year, and I'm always pleased when the summer's over, I have to one, say. One of the things the Botanic has been doing is, is continuing its ordinary watering regime. I mean, they've cut their water usage enormously, by 48% yeah. or something, but they are hoping to get quite a deep amount of water into the garden. My garden this year is the wettest it's been since I've moved there 15 years ago, yeah. which is wonderful. Yeah. But, you know, to get enough water in so that the water, your, your wetness goes down as far as possible to yeah. get you through Yes, yeah, so you summer. need to have that subwater. Mm. It's got to be down in the lower levels because if you start out in spring with, with just moisture in the surface soil, 
disappears so quickly. Yeah. Mm. And, and especially you if you have the hot, windy days, that's oh. where I fa- found all the big trees in the back. Just draw all the water out, and it, even when you water the garden underneath it, it's um, it's really not having a no. huge effect on it. Mm. And there's no doubt that water out of the sky is better than water out oh, of the yeah. tap. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And cheaper. <laughs> it's not cheaper for me. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Yes. Quick report back on the um, plant trust auction. Oh well, I haven't actually got figures on what we made, but I think we did quite well. Good. Uh, we had a good array it, of plants. From it was a, fun, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was a fun night. We had a really good array of plants from a whole range of different nurseries and and collection holders. Um, we had some quite cherishable things that we we auctioned Um, and I get the sense that we did pretty well out of it. We had a a good array of plants so there was certainly plenty to to auction and everybody had a lovely night. I mean uh, and thank you to all of those who put their effort in. I mean we had beautiful cheeses and nibblies and things for people to start with. It it is a a really, it's become a very fun social event. You know, people see each other there that haven't seen each other for six months or some previous um, plant thing that they've been to. Yeah, so they come in all happy and then Mm. I can get their money more easily. (laughs) 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 So, yeah, no, it went very well. And uh, And we always have some unusual. Meg sent us a salvia, which I've never seen in the shop. Yeah, 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 there was, uh, in fact, I think she sent us a couple of ones that I wasn't familiar with. There was some, a turquoise one from Peru or something that we... Bulalata. Yes, Bulalata. Oh, that's beautiful. It is stunning. Yeah, Mm -hmm. so, yeah, so we had some really interesting things and I think I got... Reasonably good prices for most things. Mm. I don't think mm. there were, dare I say, too many bargains going because everybody oh, you've was. You've got keen. to have the odd bargain. Yeah, that keeps maybe. everyone going. Uh, <laughs> what, no, it was good. So. What happens to me is I end up with the things mm. nobody else wants. <laughs> so yes, I've got all Virginia these. is a sucker for. for I'll just say I'll just start said. the bidding and yeah. then it doesn't go any further. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, so I take home totally inappropriate plants. Uh, <laughs> yes. Well, we've all been. I think doing that over. <laughs> they can the years, always right? be gifts, Virginia. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yes, yes. Waste not, one not. No. So no, the plant trust good. was a, a really good event. So I was very pleased with it. So. However, uh, for our plant trust members who are listening, oh, just um, take oh. notice. Stephen has managed yes. to agree to do our Christmas party on the same day that he's having an open garden for yeah. the open garden. So garden's we've got to change thing. the what? date. Yeah, I hadn't realised. I thought that my open garden thing was actually the weekend before. Oh. But it was only a few days ago it suddenly dawned on me that uh, we were having our Christmas party and a garden opening on the same weekend, which is actually physically impossible. Yes, uh, So, yes, yeah, so we are going to be changing the date. So we'll and let I, people suspect, know. I suspect we're going to change the Christmas party to the first weekend of December because uh, so, quite a lot of our members listen to the program, yeah. so I'm just saying, be careful. Yes, yes, yes. Be aware. We'll send out emails and stuff to the members once we get a bit closer. Which will be at tomorrow night's meeting. Yes, well, yes, after that okay. we'll be able to we'll make a final decision on how we're going to move the, the event, because I've got it all organised. I just need to put it on a different day. Right. Mm, unfortunately. But anyhow, that's Never right. Never mind. These yeah. things happen. Oh, yes, especially to me for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, me. I'm going to get to some community announcements. Uh, first up, of course, today is the last day of the Fernie Creek Court Society's uh, spring show. Uh, now, it is uh, running from uh, 10 through to 4 o'clock today. Camellias will be a highlight, but there'll be all sorts of... Uh, Flowers, etc., from late winter to early spring. Uh, entry to the show is still $5. Children under 16 free. The show is in the Horticultural Hall within the Fernie Creek Ornamental Gardens. The address, 100 Hilton Road, East Sassafras. 
Parking is free within the gardens and there are disabled spots near the hall. There will be two plant stalls uh, selling a good range of plants, including some hard-to-get varieties. The cup flower stall and craft stall will be operating. Light meals, drinks will be available during the weekend as well as a sausage sizzle. Weather permitting, there'll be regular guided garden walks and visitors can bring a picnic to the gardens if you want to have one. So that's all happening today. And on that, I think Jane Tonkin's got a stall there and she ah. she brought some fabulous some plants yeah. to our, our auction. That's definitely worth going up to Fernie Creek for. Mm. Okay, good. All right. Uh, now, also on today is the last day of the Kyneton Horticultural Society Flower Show. The venue is the Kyneton Showgrounds, Watts Pavilion. Times uh, 10 till 4.30. Entry is free. It's in its 125th year, which is really fantastic. And uh, the show is going to highlight an extensive range of daffodils, hellebores, cut flowers, shrubs, pot plants, cacti and succulents, floral art, vegetables and a large children's section. And there'll be an excellent range of plants available for sale grown by the uh, Kitan Hort Society members, as well as potted bulbs, books, jellies, pickles, pots and gardenalia. So there you go. So that's if you're up at uh, Kyneton Way today, or that would make a lovely drive out from Melbourne to go to that one. That's all happening. Now, coming up uh, September 13th to the 15th, Maribyrnong Orchid Society have got their spring show. Venue is Maribyrnong Community Centre, Randall Street in Maribyrnong. Entry $5. Times are Saturday 9 till 4, Sunday 9 till 4. And uh, what else can I tell you? If you need more information on that one, uh, you can phone Maureen. Her number is 0431 580 There will be uh, potting demonstrations. There will be raffle to win an orchid. And uh, the, you can also enjoy a light lunch or Devonshire tea. So uh, that's all happening uh, for down at Maribyrnong next weekend. Now, uh, September, where are we? 21st and 22nd, this is one for the diaries. Uh, Northeast Melbourne Orchid Society have got their spring show. Uh, the venue for this one is Bulleen Heights School, 221 Manningham Road in Bulleen. Times for this one are Saturday 9 till 4, Sunday 10 till 4. Entry is $4 for this one, children under 15 free. Large range of quality orchids on show and for sale. And uh, for more information on that one, you can contact Peter on 0418-110-345. A couple more coming up I should quickly mention. Uh, again, September 21st, 22nd, uh, Northern Suburbs Bonsai Club have got their annual show. Uh, the venue for this one is Bandura Hall, which uh, the rear of it, uh, 20 Nurong Avenue in Bandura, Saturday 9 till 5, Sunday 9 till 4. Entry gold coin donation, children free, and a great display of members' bonsai, a sales table, prizes, and plenty of on-site parking for that one. And the other uh, orchid uh, show coming up, September 28th, 29th, Maroondah Orchid Society have got their orchid spring show. And the venue for this one is St Timothy's uh, Catholic School Community Hall, 
21 Stevens Road in Vermont, uh, Saturday 9 till 5, Sunday 9 till 4. Entry, adults $5, children under 12 free, potting demonstrations, plant sales, potting media and accessories, floral art and refreshments. And uh, for information on that one, Barry on uh, 9801 So lots of um, orchid shows coming up. It's that time of year. It certainly is. And just uh, while you're talking about coming up things, I probably should just mention in passing that it's going to be not that far off and we've got the Mount Macedon Garden Lovers Fair coming up. Ah, so yes. it's well worth putting in your diary, especially this year. Because we've got over 40 stallholders at the Bolabek wow. Garden, so it's the biggest one we've ever run. Uh, and Bolabek is looking stunning at the moment anyway, so it, to go and see the garden there is fantastic. Open Gardens Victoria have got Dreamthorpe open as well, so we've got a garden open with the event, which mm-hmm. is going to be fantastic. And Dreamthorpe's one of our lovely old woodlandy English-style heritage gardens on the mountain, which is fabulous. And we've also got um, a botanic art show on at the Golf Club Hall, which is the first time we've done this. So our group of very talented botanic artists that work through the Horticultural Society uh, are putting on uh, a show of original works that will be there to look at and to purchase um, in the Golf Club Hall. And that's all on the 5th and 6th of October. So I think it's well worth putting in your diary. If you can't keep yourself entertained for a whole day, if not a whole weekend, uh, with all that going on. Um, it's a fantastic, really yes. fantastic event. I yeah, reckon. it's really yeah. good. So There is something wonderful about going up to Macedon. Yeah, it's well, such a, a, a plant place. Yeah, well, just think how lucky I am. Because yes. <laughs> I'm and there they, all the time. And they can also go up to your nursery. Of course they can. I wasn't going to mention that necessarily, but yes, you will be quite close to my nursery. So there you go. So that's the 5th and 6th of October, and I would love to see the art show well um, attended um, because they're putting a lot of effort in to get it together, and there's going to be some stunning botanic some, art. Yes, there, so. some of them are so good. Yeah. Oh, look, we've got at least... Two members that have got uh, works that have uh, that have been uh, accepted overseas. So we're not we're not talking about, you know, the the sort of mm. homegrown, just sort of rotary art showy type thing, which is nice in its own way. But we're talking about fairly high end botanic art. So uh, this would be as good, I think, as something you'd see done by the Bot Gardens in Melbourne or Sydney. Uh, so it's going to we hope become a very important event in time. Mm. So, yeah, so do come up. It should be good. Excellent. Okay, moving on, uh, because I do have a few more that I have to get through. Uh, Friends of Burnley Gardens uh, are inviting everyone to their next illustrated talk. Uh, This is being given by Lindsay Poor. Um, It's all about Royal Botanic Gardens, Peridenia in Sri Lanka. Uh, Now, it's taking place uh, in the main building of Burnley Campus, 500 Yarra Boulevard there in Richmond. Uh, the date is uh, Wednesday the 11th, so coming up this week, 7 for 7.30. 7 o'clock there'll be drinks and nibbles, 7.30 for the talk in main building, building room 11. Cost, if you're a member of the Friends Group, $10. Non-members, $20. And plenty of parking there, as I said, in Yarra Boulevard. Now, next week is, next weekend, is the first um, Open Gardens for Open Gardens Victoria. So they're kicking off their next uh, Uh, season. Yep. 
Uh, finally, because it feels like it's been a long time. Yeah, it does feel like a long time since yeah. we had a garden opening, but there you go. So it'll all be on from now. It will be. It will be. So the garden, and, and a lot of our listeners may have seen uh, mention of this garden on uh, Gardening Australia a couple of weeks ago, but uh, it's Yellaroo uh, Garden. As I mentioned, it's opening uh, next weekend, 14th and 15th of September. It's a private Nary Warren South Garden featuring a wonderful collection of Australian plants. Now, you enter um, via a long winding driveway lined with colourful corias, eremophilas, hibertias, dampieras and several large Queensland bottle trees. Close to the house, the garden's a little more formal, blending native and exotic plants. But from here, the garden breaks into softly mulched winding paths uh, that give the garden a more natural bushland feel. Field. Uh, among the plants collected over the years, corias and grevilleas are particular fra- favourites, attracting a wide variety of bird life. Uh, correct labelling has been essential, with uh, 50 varieties of Coria pulchella alone. That's incredible. Um, so Bob, uh, uh, the owners, Bob and Dot O'Neill, who've, who've created the garden, Bob's a very enthusiastic propagator, and this is how they've managed to populate their whole garden in very mm. rapid time. Uh, now, it also has a large productive area, including an extensive covered orchard, uh, where there's peaches, figs, apples, cherries, plums and apricots. There's a vegetable garden, uh, which supplies... Um, Bob and Dot with organic food. Uh, there are other areas to explore, a fernery, a collection of zygo cactus close to the house and several fish ponds throughout the garden. Now, uh, I should mention the proceeds from this garden will support transit soup kitchen and food support. Now, Sue, you know a lot about this garden. I do. Um, Bob and Dot are actually friends of mine, and um, I used to work for them many years ago in their bed and breakfast. They had beautiful native gardens in Wandon. So, um, yeah, Bob's got the most amazing collection of corriers, and I've actually been lucky that he shared some of his uh, treasures with me, and he's grown me... uh, Really lovely courier I'm looking forward to getting called Flared Bell, which is absolutely stunning. It opens up. Okay. But, um, yeah, it's absolutely fantastic to see. And he also has um, a large area of pots too. So he has a quite a big collection of um, lecanolshas that were features on Gardening Australia. I think it was last year they did a episode on that as well. Right. Yeah. So um, the other thing they're doing is they're having a um, children's treasure hunt tomorrow as well in the garden. Oh, that's going to be fun. Um, so that'll be... On the, Saturday, oh, sorry, on on the, the um, Saturday or the Sunday, Sue? I think on both days they're doing the, right. um, the treasure hunt. Um, I belong to quite a few plant forums and um, the Australian Native Plant Forum, Cottage Gardens, Gardening Australia, and there's quite a few of us actually meeting up to meet each other, we've only known each other via gardens on the Sunday. So okay. around about midday, there's probably about a dozen people um, there and um, switching over plants that people have grown for each other. Great. Yeah, so it should be a really good um, place to visit. Mm. Um, amazing when you go because they've got the, ref- I don't know if you mentioned the reflexes as well as the uh, pulchellas, but okay. even though he's got those varieties, he's got quite a few different, so there's quite a few hundred um, couriers that line the driveway. Wow. Also, um, 
quite a good collection of herbertias too that he's got in the garden that mm. are well worth looking at. And they would be in flower or starting to flower Fantastic. at this time of the year. Yep. So, yeah. Brilliant. Well worth a visit. Okay. Well, the details, are, <clears throat> the address is 7 Hillsmead Drive in Narriwarren South. As I mentioned, it's open uh, Saturday the 14th, Sunday the 15th, which is next weekend, 10 a.m. through to 4.30 p.m. both days. Entry is $8. Children under 18 are free. Now, as we mentioned, there's, there's going to be a children's treasure hunt, and it, that, was, that is going to be both days. Uh, there's going to be plants for sale and also tea and coffee available. Now, <clears throat> as usual, our very good friends at Open Gardens Victoria have provided us with one free double pass. So uh, the first person who phones in on 94190155 and uh, gives Louise uh, their details, will get that uh, free double pass posted out to you in time to go and visit that garden on either Saturday or Sunday of next weekend. That Fantastic. number to call if you want the double pass, 94190155. Okay, I've still got uh, a couple more to mention. <clears throat> Sorry, this is what happens <laughs> in springtime. It certainly does. Um, there's an Australian Plants Expo coming up again next weekend, 14th and 15th of September. Uh, this is taking place at Eltham Community and Reception Centre, which is 801 Main Road in Eltham. Uh, time, 10am through to 4pm on both days. Cost is adults $5, concession $4, children are free. And uh, this is um, their, their uh, main uh, fundraiser and uh, expo that they have annually. So uh, I think I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I've been to it a couple of years ago, and it was absolutely stunning. The, uh, a lot of stallholders and the variety of Australian natives in flowers just, just, Absolutely incredible. So that's another good one. If you're interested in Australian native plants, you've got a lot happening next weekend. Yes. You're going to have to work it so that you go to one one day and the other the other day yep, somehow. Sounds like it. Yep, Busy weekend so. ahead. I think so. Now, uh, the Clivia, uh, Melbourne Clivia Group have got their Clivia Expo coming up Saturday, 21st of September. It's just on the one day, 10 till 4. There'll be displays, demonstrations, sales, $5 entry, $4 seniors card holders. This is taking place at Mount Waverley Community Centre, 47 Miller Crescent in Mount Waverley. And if you'd like more uh, inquiries, details on that one, the number is 0477 134 And uh, very uh, briefly, last one I'll get to, Australian Native Orchid Show. Now there is... Uh, Another one coming up, and we're going to have uh, have a guest come in and tell us all about that one. But this is one being run by the Berwick Orchid Club. Tuesday, 24th of September to Sunday, 29th of September, 9 to 4.30. This is taking place down at Cranbourne Botanic Gardens. Uh, free entry, huge display, and plants for sale at that one. So... Uh, it's definitely orchid time. It certainly is. <laughs> Quite amazing. All right, well, it's more than time we invited our listeners to join us this morning. Um, if you have a gardening question or if you'd like to talk about something in particular, do give us a call 
Uh, we have Stephen Ryan from Dixonia Rare Plants, Virginia Haywood, who, of course, is a guide at uh, Melbourne Botanic Gardens, and Sue Stevens, who's head propagator out at Bushland Flora Nursery. So something for everyone. The number is 94190155, or to speak to Carol on the outside line, 94198377. Stephen, start the ball rolling oh, for yes, us. Oh, yes, I've got, well, it's spring. There's it's stuff. spring. Yes, there's, there's flowers out stuff. everywhere. <laughs> All right, uh, where will I start? I'll start... Wherever. This will do. Um, Oh, the big tall one? All right, Virginia, you win. Um, This is a nasturtium, uh, Tropiolum tricolorum. It's one of the perennial nasturtiums from South America. In fact, the whole genus comes from South America. Um, This is one of the easier ones to grow. Uh, It's winter-growing. It has a woody potato-like tuber underneath it that it dies down to in the summer. And so it's a herbaceous perennial climber. And people might well wonder why you would bother, apart from the fact that it's really pretty with its little red, black and yellow flowers on it, why you would bother with a herbaceous perennial climber because most people want climbers to hide the shed, hide the fence, hide the ugly house, whatever. Um, And, of course, this sort of plant doesn't do that sort of job because it comes up, does its thing and then disappears again. But it's ideal to grow over other plants because it has a finite size it can grow to and then it dies down again, so it can't swamp its host plant. Perfect. Um, and I've actually got it growing through an Escalonia hedge at home and it's fantastic because it comes up flowers in the winter through the dark green leaves of the Escalonia and then it crumples and dies down. The Escalonia comes into white flower uh, and then after the Escalonia is finished, I then trim the hedge. And you have it in the ground. And I have it in the ground. In amongst the... Escalonia roots, it stays nice and dry in the summer most of the time. Uh, And that's the trick with this particular plant. You've got to keep the tubers dry for the summer. And I would always keep some as potted plants so that I can... um, uh, keep them really dry in the summer by actually taking them out of the pot and putting the tubers in the shed. But then you've got to remember to pot them up. Um, So... um, uh, So it's one of those plants that... um, you need to be a bit organised with. Um, so uh, I think it's a charming little thing. Uh, and growing over other things, I mean, I've got it at the moment growing up through a yellow-flowered shrubby carrier at home. That and that is great. The carrier looks fantastic. Um, and the tropiolum is lovely in, in its red and black, so the combinations work really well. So that's tropiolum tricolorum. Um, so a little bit of work involved if you're going to grow it, but um, it certainly is a worthwhile plant. In fact, the whole genus is worthwhile, but some of them are virtually impossible to get. Mm. So Tropiolum tricolorum from Chile, out in flower now, uh, and well worthwhile. So uh, uh, so that's my first plant. Will I go on with another one? That uh, Greg has got an absolutely beautiful yellow one of those up yeah. on... I used to have the yellow one, actually, uh, Brachycerus, but I seem to have lost it somehow or another along the way. Um, I'll have to see if I can get some from Greg, uh, Mm, because it's it's charming. It's beautiful. And I've got my blue one in flower at the nursery at the moment, too, the one called Azurium, but... I only tenuously keep that. I've seen them growing in Scotland, Mm. just really prolifically, which I find really confusing because I find it very hard to grow. The one that they grow in Scotland is another species, and it's a summer-growing one. 
which is Tropiolum speciosum, and it doesn't have a tuber under it. It has a creeping white um, root-like rhizome, uh, and so it has to be kept slightly moist the whole year. Uh-huh. Uh, and that's why speciosum can be difficult because it has to be its roots have to be kept moist the whole year, uh, and yet it needs to get its top up into the light, otherwise it won't flower. Uh, well, that's so how you treat a, that's how you treat a clematis. Yeah, of I mean much the same way, except it's even fussier. Mm. Uh, so speciosum is a particularly difficult one to grow. But for us. For us. But in Scotland, it's almost a weed. And they call it the Scottish flame creeper, even though they all come from South America. So they're all Chilean. So, uh, so that's the tropiolum, which I think is rather gorgeous. Mm. Uh, do you want to go on to a, a call? We might take our first call. All right. Yes. What a good idea. We're going to go to uh, Carol, who's in East Bentley. Good morning, Carol. Oh, good morning, Pam. Good morning, everyone. Look, I've, uh, I, I've got three plants that I want to ask you questions about, so if I take too much time, you can tell me, and I can That's fine. bring back another time. The first is a lilac. It's called Baldinancy. Yeah. And the flowers have budded, if I'm saying it right, but they've not opened, and I've put sea salt into it and what have you. I've got it in an east garden, and it gets a bit of north sun. Yeah. It's behind a climbing rose, and the climbing rose does well. Yeah. So... I, I don't know if I've got it in the right spot. No, it sounds like it's, it's all fine. I'm just assuming that it's not quite ready to flower yet. I mean, if the buds are still healthy... Uh... No, no, Stephen, they, they're um, sort of disintegrating. Ah, so it just yeah. didn't make it at all. Uh, how long has the plant been in? Oh, I'd say about three years. And is, has it ever flowered it's properly? N- it, yes, it has flowered, yeah. but not... Not really well. You wouldn't say it's going along well. Mm. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, my gut feeling is that it's, uh, it's probably still not well settled. Uh, lilacs normally take two to three years to get their act together and really start flowering well. Um, I would still give it another year or so. In the meantime, um, I'd be tempted to give it a bit of lime because lilacs actually are quite... Um, uh, fond of an alkaline soil in preference to a, an acid one, and particularly if the plant's not doing well. Uh, if the plant were doing well and flowering and so forth, it will still do all right in an acid soil, but I think the lime might actually stimulate it a bit. Um, and uh, just be patient with it, because I think it will in due course come into its own, because lilacs as a group are not that hard to grow, and they should flower reasonably well in southern Victoria, so I don't see any reason why it shouldn't sort of settle down and, and flower and grow well for you in due course. And get, um, with, when you give it the lime, give it a little bit of seaweed at the same time. Yeah. Okay. Oh, great. The second question is about, I think it's, I'm pronouncing it right, Lucilia? Lucilia. Mm-hmm. Lucilia. Yeah. Well, it flowered beautifully this year mm-hmm. and for such a long time. But I just wanted to know, when do I cut it back? Now. Now. Cut it back? Yeah. now. Yeah. yeah, you can, can always, be, always yeah. prune after flowering. <clears throat> okay. Can I be sort of, um, what's the word, um, cut it right back? You can cut them quite hard, but be aware that it might send it into lots and lots of new growth at the expense of flowering next year if you cut it too hard. I wouldn't go further than a third myself. Mm. Okay, I'll do that a third. And the third question, hibiscus, um, it's never done well. It's only a little thing. I've had it um, in the ground for about a year or two years, and um, it's been attacked by everything. I put echo oil on it and what have you, and it's just never done well. And I wanted to move it. When do you think I should move it? Do that now, too. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, uh, the weather's about to start warming up, so it's the time when you can re-establish a, a hibiscus in the garden because they're subtropical plants. They don't like to be fiddled with when the depths of winter are on or, or the winter's about to set in. But because the spring is about to really spring, uh, then this is probably a good time to uh, lift it and shift it into a different spot. And, of course, hibiscuses love a warm, sunny site. Warm, sunny site, but I think they don't want um, a really hot north wind. No, no. It'll would be my, is yeah. my experience yeah. of them. So, uh, oh, yeah, so now would be the time to move your hibiscus. I've got it against a brick wall where it gets... It really gets the north and a bit of the west in the afternoon, yeah, and it's well, just never done well. Perhaps it's feeding it. Yeah, well, it certainly wouldn't hurt to feed it. I mean, hibiscus will take up any amount of food you throw at them. They're a, a plant that can be fed quite heavily if needs be. Uh, but again, you know, you've only had it in 12 months, so it's only been in sort of through one growing season. Uh, and so it may much. still, yeah, you might be asking a bit much from it too early, I think. I think you need to be a little patient with it. Hasn't it been wonderful with all the rain we've had? It's been great. Oh, my garden looks wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so thrilled after that scorching summer. It's just wonderful. Well, thank you very much. Thanks, okay, pleasure. Then. Bye. Bye-bye. That number, if you'd like to join us this morning, 94190155 to speak to Stephen, Virginia or Sue. Uh, or if you'd like to have a chat to Carol on the outside line, 94198377. Another one, Stephen. All right, I'll talk about this one with the great big label. <laughs> I, I have a problem with great big labels, I have to say. Um, I think they're a waste of environmental resources. Sue's now hiding I'm all her plants. I'm hiding all my plants. Yeah, because they've got great big labels. Um, uh, normally, I don't buy in something that has a label as big as this because it's bigger than the plant. I mean, it's ridiculous. Um, and also, I have an issue with the way the label has been written too because uh, it's got the proper botanical name on it, which I approve and of. And plenty of them don't and anymore. And plenty of them don't, which is really annoying. If you pick up something that doesn't have its botanical name on it, put it back yeah. uh, because the botanical name should be there. But they've also made up a NAF name. And, and NAF names drive me insane. Uh, this plant is actually a polygala. So some of you would know the polygalas as a big shrub with little purple, purple pea yes, flowers yeah. on it. And one or two of the forms have become somewhat weedy. weedy so yes, you've got to be definitely. careful. Uh, this is a little alpine one that only grows a, a few centimetres tall, makes a little clump. It's all it does. It just makes a little clump. Probably, I don't know, uh, 15, 20 centimetres tall by about 20 to 25 centimetres wide. And it gets little purple pea flowers with a bright yellow centre, which is gaudy, to say the least. <laughs> uh, and it's polygala camabuxus, meaning that it's got leaves like a box. Um, grandiflora, meaning it has big flowers. And they've called it fairy lights, which is, has no standing as a name. It's just a trade name or whatever they want to call it or a you know, kitschy sort of something or another. Uh, it has a perfectly legitimate proper name and, and that is, suits me fine. Um, so ordinarily I wouldn't leave these great big labels in it. And it seems sort of pointless when you're selling it in flower to have a big colourful label that actually competes with the flowers. Uh, well, it hides the well, plant actually, if you've got it facing the wrong yes, way. Yes, in fact, if you put it on a bench somewhere, you've I got mean, to have the label I mean, I can't see behind. the plant No, you here. can't. It's ridiculous. <laughs> so, I mean, I do find these big labels a bit over the top. 
This is a really charming little plant, though. It's not too hard to grow. It doesn't want to be in the hottest, dry spot you can find. Uh, but a morning sun aspect with a little bit of moisture in the soil, and it will flower for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. Uh, and then it's just a little green, tiny shrublet. Uh, so it would be ideal to put in a little rock pocket in a rock garden mm. or something like that where you want something cute and, and pretty, uh, and then you can discard the label. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, Polygala, Camabuxus, Brandiflora. In, in the bin, too, which is ridiculous. What yeah. else can you do with a label like that that's got all that plastic mm. covering on it? Yeah, yes, it's a, it's a bit bit unfortunate. How that wide I, does it get to? Oh, it only gets to probably 15, 20 centimetres oh, okay. wide, so it's a tiny little yeah. shrublet. So you, you, no matter how little your garden is, you should be able to find room for this polygala. Oh, you can it's find tiny. a pot. Yeah, it, could, it would be quite all right in a pot or something like that as well. Uh, and it's a cheery little thing, and it's a, a nice, bright, splashy, colourful plant at this time of the year. Uh, there is a beautiful all yellow form of it, which I've got in the garden at the nursery, which I must try and propagate at some stage, uh, which is sort of pale yellow and dark yellow. Oh, which is, that sounds nice. wonderful. It yes. is. It's a really charming little plant. This one's getting around. Obviously, uh, one of the big growers is doing this, uh, but the soft yellow one I haven't seen for sale anywhere before, so that'll be an interesting So that is your add. responsibility? Yes, I will have to propagate it and make sure it gets out there because it is charming. Uh, so, yeah, so... It, its flowers look like the big growing variety in a sense because they are all pea flowers, but it's nothing like Polygala, whatever the big one is, Brandiflora or whatever it is. I can't remember. Isn't that dreadful? Um, uh, and it certainly has no weed potential, so it's it's perfectly safe little plant. Fantastic. Okay. Sue, let's swap and discuss a native plant. Oh, okay. Well, today I've brought in, we've actually been um, breeding Hardenbergias, um, and crossed um, two different forms together. So you use a straight form of um, Hardenbergia violacea, and there's a plant out there called Regent, which is an upright violacea that has very large flowers. Um, and we've got this new plant called Royal Flush with purple flowers. Um, so it's going to have the big leaves like the upright version, but it's going to be a creeper. Okay. So, it, yeah, the flowers... I think are a slightly different purple to... Still a good, rich purple, though, it isn't is, it? It is, it's yeah. That's one thing Hardenbergia does so well is that rich purple. It yes. almost seems a pointless exercise having a pink or a white one. Yeah. Because you know, that colour is just so intense and, and not all that common in flowers. No. We've got a white one that will be coming up soon that's mm. with this leaf as well. Um, it's absolutely beautiful in, like, the stock plant to look at it. Beautiful weeping, but really nice with the big leaves compared to the mm. um, smaller leaves. It looks lush, doesn't yes, it? Yes, yeah. it does. Yeah. So um, we haven't, it's probably not available in all the nurseries. I know that we've supplied it to Bunnings, mm. so that's probably the only place to get it at the moment until we build uh, the stock up for okay. it. Yeah, but really lovely. So Royal Flush is the Royal one. Royal Flush, one. yes. I've, I've got the pink one in, in my garden at the moment. The pink shrubby. Pink shrubby. It came from... Your nursery, and it's just—it's only small. Which some I've had a Hardenbergia that's actually broken a picket fence. But you know, yeah. it didn't come from our nursery. What actually happened was I came to your house and said, "That's a really nice Hardenbergia," and I told Ian I took cuttings off it and collected the seed, and then we sowed the seed, and it came up. But the other day, my boss's wife went to have a look at Virginia's dam and took some plants and things and came back and said, Virginia's got this great Hardenbergia and Virginia said it came from us, but it actually, 
I saw it at your house and, and then we brought the it back right. in. Yeah. Because you've taken a lot of cuttings off my white Hardenbergias too. Yes, that's right. And the my white, mist. white Hardenbergias, mm. it's just draped down all the way to the road and it looks so fabulous. Yeah, I, um, I think Hardenbergias are fantastic for a winter garden. I've got... Um, uh, the white mist that I haven't brought in is so drought hardy and I've got a um, like a bank wall on one side of my property with big gum trees and things like that that's in shade, can't get any water into the soil. So I've actually planted it at the very top and it grows down the bank and I've got about half a dozen of them. Um, really, really nice. The other thing with Hardenberg is... They do really well in the shade, and along our back fence I've actually got white mist and Comtaniana purple intermingled, and my neighbours have put one, the white ones on their side of the fence, and I've put the purple, and we've let it mingle. Um, but what's wonderful, I find, that if the plants are in a lot more shade, they flower a bit later, and they actually flower longer than if the plant's in the sun. Oh, that's yeah, interesting. Is, yeah. okay. Well, when you think about it, they, they grow in the bush, yeah, they tend yeah. to be in a bushland yeah. setting. Yeah, they don't exactly. tend to be right out in the open, do yeah, they? No. And, and yet, I've got the white ones on my bank. They're facing northwest. They get the total hot sun. They get the total hot wind. And they never get watered because my hose doesn't reach that far. Mm. Right. And I don't have any sprinkler system because all my... All my water is tank water. That yeah. white one's great too because normally it only grows in a vigorous spot. It goes to about one and a half metres. But if you put it into a tough spot like I've got, you're lucky that it'll only go to half a metre. Mm. Um, so you can use it, yeah, in small Yeah, contain spots. it a bit, yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay, great. One more, Sue. Um, I've brought in baronias because I absolutely love baronias, but uh, the one I've brought in today is baronia megastigma lutea, and lutea is yellow. So it's a... Um, that looks green to me. Yeah. <laughs> it's a greeny sort of yellow. Greeny yeah. yellow, like a chartreuse sort of... Not as heavily scented, I don't find, as the uh, normal Funny brown with the, megastigma. With baronias, uh, some people can't smell them. No, one uh, of the girls. Yeah, that it's they really work interesting up. that yeah, uh, uh, those and there's something else that some people struggle with uh, a common flower, and I can't think what it is at the moment. But yeah, some people will say, "Oh, baronias, they don't have any scent." Yeah. But it's the fact that they can't smell it, and they've obviously got something about their including the brown one. Yeah, yes. including the brown one. There's people who cannot smell Good the brown heavens. baronia. I was actually reading that half of the population can't smell baronia. That's amazing. Which is a lot. And where I sit in my prop room and I open the door, we've got, because we sell all different baronias in the, for some reason, about two o'clock in the afternoon, the scent is different on that mm. plant and it just wafts in. And I've actually got one right in front of me so I can smell it. And Steph, who works with me, cannot smell baronias. Not at all. Right. Like, no yeah. scent. It's amazing. Yeah, so um, they just assume they haven't got a scent, but uh, yeah. they have. Uh, it's just the person's nose that doesn't but it work But it's the same yeah. with growing them. I mean, a lot of people find them incredibly difficult to grow. Yeah. Yes. There's a, if you want to grow baronias, if you think about growing clematis, exactly the same sort of situation. Um they like a cool root run, and I've okay. successfully grown baronias for quite a few years. It's only when the tree came down and nearly squashed me in the garden, fell straight through, all the baronias and everything were were there, and I but had them so for many years. That one of mine, I, I pruned it by half last year, and I yeah. thought it'll never come through this, but I'm going to, I have to do it. It was just falling over yeah. and breaking, and it had got so big. Pruned it by half. 
It's come back that's beautifully. That's been in about eight years that's yeah. been planted. Mm. We used to have the pink boronia in our garden when I was a kid, uh, when we lived right up the top of Mount Macedon, and we always cut it back at least by half every year. Did yeah. you? Um, and it, it lasted for 15, 20 years uh, and flowered its head off. I think in the end it actually collapsed in a, in a really heavy snowfall. Yeah. Uh, it just smashed and, and fell apart. Mm. Um, and baronias love it up in the hills because you've got the deep, cool soils. Mm. Uh, and we always grew beautiful baronias in our garden at the, at the old family nursery. They were just fantastic. And we had a lovely brown one that mum had for donkey's years in the garden there too. And they'll always cut back at least by a half um, every year straight after flowering. And uh, people particularly say they can't grow the brown one. Yeah, well, it's yeah, even yeah, the one that people, yeah, yeah. Yeah, people struggle with that. But, of course, if people are growing it in the pot and it's a black pot, I mean, what does a black pot do in summertime? Yeah. It gets really hot. Yeah, yeah. Mm. if the sun's on it at all, it, mm. will, it will bake the roots, so... I mean, I think some of those black pots need to be put in bigger pots and then you put some pea straw around them just to keep them cool in the real hot of the mm. summer. Yeah. On, um, I don't know if people watched Gardening Australia last weekend, not this weekend, the one before, uh, Jill Muller, who's one of the admins on the Australian Native Plant Forum, Sophie, went into her garden and she grows most of her Australian natives in pots. And In Adelaide? Beautiful. There's two, uh, um, Red Jarrod, and I'm just trying to think if it's called Black Jarrod, um, she had that in a pot, absolutely magnificent. These are baronias. Yeah, mm. yeah, there's quite a few. And another really nice one, if you're looking for baronias, um, I think it's even a stronger scent than the Megastigma, is called Black Prince. Okay. Really, really lovely. Mm. So that's the one I have sitting in front of me that I can smell. And Steph, and Steph can't. And Steph can't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear, sad for those people. It's one of those away. things I love, the smell of Daphne. Yes. Freesias, roses and baronias and sweet pea. Okay. Yes, that, they're my favourite. Right. Yeah. Well, there you go. Stephen, back to you. All right, uh, let's talk cabbages. Um, I have two plants here in the cabbage family. Um, uh, and both are woodland plants, uh, both from Europe. Um, the white one is a thing called uh, Pachyphragma macrophylla, which I love. It's so easy going. Uh, I grow it in quite heavy shade in the garden at home, and it makes lovely clumps, and then it self-seeds. So you oh, end up with drifts of it. And I, I started off, I think, with one plant about five or six years ago in one of my woodlandy areas in the garden home. Now it would be... Oh, gawks. It'd have to be three metres wide, the area that it's now basically filled. But because it's clump next to clump it doesn't swamp anything it's growing with yep. so it sort of fills in all the gaps around so you can have other small growing woodlanders in there and I've got cyclamen in the same bed uh, I've got uh, quite a few other things and it just sort of cohabitates mm. and it gets these lovely heavily veined bright green leaves or dark green leaves uh, very glossy and it gets very clean white flowers so in the dark shade it just stands out superbly um, because it's in the cabbage family, the flowers are edible, uh, but you'd have to pick an awful lot of them to make a salad. Uh, but you could sprinkle some through a salad just to frighten those iceberg lettuce salad makers. Uh, <laughs> and um, uh, it's a lovely, lovely plant and, and reasonably drought tolerant as long as it's in fairly heavy shade. Yeah. The other one, on the other hand, is cardamine. Now, the cardamines are quite a large genus, which also includes flickweed. 
So oh. the little white flowered flickweed that flicks its seeds Which out. Which I hate. Yeah, if you can't get it out quickly enough, you've got big problems with flickweed. It is also a cardamine. I think it's cardamine. Oh, no, I've forgotten the species name. Now, it doesn't matter. Anyhow, we all know it as flickweed. But there are some very high-quality cardamines out there. And this one is uh, uh, quinquefolius, and it has attractive mauve flowers on it. And it has a creeping rhizome. It's a perennial uh, creeping rhizome um, and will eventually make small mats. Dies down sort of by mid to late summer uh, to the rhizomes, but it doesn't like to grow where it ever gets really dry. So it does need sort of constantly slightly moist woodlandy conditions if you're going to grow it well. And there's a whole range of these really pretty woodland cardamines, but you rarely ever see them grown and sold. Um, and they're really dainty little plants, but mm, they all like much the same conditions. Um, so um, even though it dies down, it still needs. It still to get needs moist. a little bit of moisture in the soil. The the rhizomes just seem to desiccate if they go dry. Because I've got so many South African bulbs in my garden for exactly that reason. They're all gone in yeah. summer yeah. So and they, they all come any, back. Yeah, they don't need any watering. Well, unfortunately, I think if you don't water you your cardamine, yeah, no. you, you're going to lose it all together. Yeah. Uh, uh, I don't find it easy to grow in my own home garden because my garden does get very hydrophobic in the summer, so it's really hard to keep moisture in. I keep trying to find a spot where I can keep it reasonably watered. I've actually planted some in my citrus grove at home now because it does seem to be one of those beds that I've uh, the bed is so deep with man-made soil that I've created um, uh, that it does seem to stay slightly moist, it doesn't seem to get hydrophobic like the rest of the garden so I'm now trying some of the cardamines in there to see if I can grow them And there. the white one, does that is that need... That doesn't seem to have the same issues with drying out it will dry out a bit, it doesn't though have a rhizome like the cardamines right. uh, it just has a, a root system that sits there below the crown of the plant mm. uh, and it doesn't seem to mind getting a bit dry and it's certainly self-seeding itself around my garden uh, all I do now is go around the outskirts of the clumps of, that have come up and dig up the small ones to pot for sale each year so I just keep it in bounds that way but I wouldn't care if it took off across the garden, no. I mean it's a, it's a great little plant Good summer ground cover. Never disappears completely below ground level, even in the winter, so there's always a bit of evidence of it there. Um, and during the sort of early spring, it's just this wonderful carpet of white. Talking of taking off altogether, you gave me a rust some years ago. <laughs> Lovely <laughs> plants, isn't it? Too. <laughs> <laughs> it's now marched about nearly to Mount Evelyn. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but isn't it a beautiful thing? It is stunning. Yeah, and look, things that... And it loves, it loves coming up in my extremely hard driveway. Yes, yeah, it, it, well, it comes up in my driveway as well at mm -hmm. home. Um, people have this really weird idea about plants. They whinge if they can't grow it, and then they whinge if they can sometimes, because it, uh, so, some people are frightened of plants that have a bit of a zest for life and take off a bit. I have to say, I'd much prefer to have to control a plant that, uh, has a zest for life than to have to mollycoddle one. Yes. So if you've got to pull out some extraneous bits of something that are coming up where you don't want them, that's a damn sight easier than being out there every five minutes watering, feeding and, mm -hmm. uh, and sheltering some poor little waif of a thing that is never going to survive long term. That's like that euphorbia that you've got that from Gentiana that's got the lovely orange flower mm. that walks. That could walk all through my garden too. It's beautiful. Isn't yes. It? Yeah. Yeah. There's some plants I'm very really happy nice. for them to have a zest for life, and and in fact, because some plants do waft around, they actually tie a whole area together. together exactly. Because you've got the same thing repeated, yes, exactly. and you haven't had to plant the same thing repeatedly. Mm. So I think I think those sort of plants are fantastic. But a lot of people, 
are worried about anything that sort of has a bit of a zest. Mm. Um, uh, so they worry about things that self-seed or sucker or have prickles, unless it's a rose bush. My brugmansia keeps doing the same. It keeps yeah. coming up in... Not as much as the roofs. No, you, yeah, you know, I'll yes. look and there'll be another one, yeah. ten feet, twenty feet further. Oh yeah, on. yeah. Mine do it in the garden at home mm. too, and I just think it's I just, just pull so them out. yeah, just so simple, just to deal with a plant that's doing that. And certainly things like my packy phragma, mm. um, so easy to just lift ha- out of the ground if it's too far. Yes, <laughs> yes. And no, it's it's. I think. I'm not complaining about the roost because it is so beautiful in oh, autumn. It is it's just one of wonderful. the great autumn foliage plants. Mm. I just think it's fabulous. I've just had put that in about a year ago. This oh, the packy fragma. Yeah. And a, um, in a not uh, full shade, but uh, dappled shade yeah. garden, mm. same next to the bezier that you gave yeah. me. Mm. And I was quite impressed that that didn't die down because I didn't know it. I didn't oh, have a bezier. tag on it. Yeah. And it, I think oh, you ID yeah. when you came and had a look at my garden because I said I didn't know what it was. So yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting thing. Apparently, it comes from the comparatively dry hills of Turkey. Okay. So, so it, it is a seriously Mediterranean woodland plant, so it will in fact cope quite well uh, in not too damp a soil. I have to here. say, the one thing that has uh, that I will not have in my garden under any circumstance anymore is the datura. Mm. That has marched all the way to my bottom paddock. Oh yes, and it's nasty. Yeah, yeah. Well, they are, I think, on officially on the weed list anyway. So we probably shouldn't be encouraging people to plant the true daturas. It's so it, not beautiful looking. N- only this, only this big. Yeah, it only yeah. grows to about mm. a meter or something like that. Yes, I don't know where it came from, and I, because it smells so wonderful, yeah. I just let it go, and it was such a mistake. I should have pulled it out as soon as I saw it. Yeah. I was yeah. going to ask you too: Is your brilliant tasia holding out? It got really burnt the weekend before last, but I luckily I looked them, at them in the botanic gardens because Meg's yes. got them into the botanic gardens. And thought, oh, they've pruned their presentation. I looked at mine and thought, no, nah, I'll leave you a bit longer. Mm. Four days later, all the top leaves going black. Right. But I think it's going to, it, the rest, the underneath has been protected because the leaves are so big. The brilliant tasia, everybody, is a, it's not a sage, but it looks like it a salvia. It looks like a really blue salvia. Very blue, big very leaves. big okay. salvia. Mm. And Beautiful thing. Stephen and I saw it. In, in Mauritius, Mauritius. <laughs> yeah, of all places. It's not native there, but... Uh, it's uh, it native to t- Zimbabwe. Yes, it's an African thing. Uh, and in Mauritius, it's naturalised itself along the streams. And yeah, it was and just beautiful. Absolutely stunning, but in a very wet position, whereas we tend to grow it here in, in sunny and quite dry conditions. And yeah. it was actually in a stream oh, if when I could we only saw grow it. brilliant hazy. Oh, no, it's I've, beautiful. I've given it? up on it. Uh, I've tried. Virginia's given me plants. Uh, Anne and Steve have given me plants. And uh, I can grow it through the summer. I, even in the greenhouse, which isn't a heated greenhouse, but keeps the frost off to a large extent. And I put most of my sort of subtropical things into the greenhouse for the winter. Even in there, it, it succumbed eventually. Mm. It just sort of collapsed and died. So I've decided brilliant hazy isn't for <laughs> no, well, it's just it's just coping at mine, and yeah. I, Meg's is looking okay too because I was mm. over at hers the other day in in Gruyere. So I think if you're a bit protected, yeah, yeah. Um, you'll just get it through. Right. Whereas you know. In Melbourne, it'll grow. Yeah, yeah, ideal for a Melbourne garden. Mm. And, and it would grow in a range of different conditions. It seems to be fairly adaptable, except to the cold. <laughs> so mm. there you go. So, yes, I've given up on that one. But anyhow. Oh, well. It's one of those things in the Acanthaceae family, which is, sort of puts it into an interesting group of plants, actually. Yes, yes. Yeah. Now, we've got so, a call coming in. We have got a call. We're going to Vic out in uh, Maribyrnong. Good morning, Vic. 
Oh, hi. I'll just get away from the radio. Um, <clears throat> yeah, look, I've got a very interesting question for you. You've had it easy today. Oh, come on now. <laughs> oh, well, look, all you're landing in is soft bed of petals of all these flowers. <laughs> now, listen, I've got something else that flowers nice and nicely, too. It's called gauze bush, and every prickle on it is an inch long from yeah. oh. every every branch. How'd you like to land on that? <laughs> no, no, thank you. Um, and in fact, gorse, of course, is another one of those plants that's on the weed list. So, uh, yeah. it, it should be dealt with if you've got it. Um, well, well, that's the reason I'm ringing you yeah. for. Yeah, now, well. Describe the situation. The best thing you can do with gorse is to cut it off at ground level and, and poison the stumps with a little bit of Roundup as soon as you cut it off. And well, then you I need to keep... I haven't heard the question. Oh, you haven't oh. heard what I've got to say. Okay, go All right, on. well, go on then. Hurry up. <laughs> No, 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 not hurry up. It's a big <laughs> problem because it's on a big property. Now, the problem with this particular property is it's covered in water. You could almost call it swamp. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're talking about nine acres plus. Mm-hmm. So we're not playing games, are you? Mm-hmm. And these plants, I believe, they can grow as maybe high as three metres. Yep, gorse can. Uh, at, the, at the present time, you'd probably call them about 1,500 mm-hmm. and, and under. Um. <clears throat> And there's a hell of a lot of it there, and it's so densely packed, and it's not a joke to deal with, and I really don't know how to deal with this. And where the water comes from and where it's going to is another question, and I dare say animals will be drinking it. So mm. I don't need to be using Roundup. Well, and, um, sometimes you have no choice. Yeah, but uh, I just told you the joint is swampy, so it's already what you're cutting yeah, off. Yeah, but you, it won't, it won't be. It, you don't it, use it, it at this time of the year. It won't be swampy in the middle of summer, will it? No. I have no idea mm. because I don't know where the water's coming from, and there's a bloody great culvert letting it in or letting it out, so no. I have to determine that too. Yeah, yeah. No, look, you wouldn't be trying to deal with it now. Uh, one, you don't want to go onto wet ground uh, trying to deal with a weed issue anyway so you would deal with the gorse in the summer um uh what a lot of people do is they actually send a machine through and rip it out and you could certainly do that but you certainly wouldn't do that when the ground's wet but the problem with gorse is is if it's been there for several years and it's been flowering there's also a seed bank now in the ground that's right and so if you rip it out or poison it you might get rid of the uh, existing plants quite well but you will have regrowth over the next few years uh, because gorse seed is quite uh, hard and it will germinate over quite a long time. So it's a matter of persistence if you're going to control it because uh, uh, getting rid of one crop of gorse isn't going to, of course, clean the block up. It's going to have more gorse coming up. Uh, Of course, the other thing is if you get rid of the gorse and you get the paddock so that you can slash it, then any gorse coming up uh, from the seed could be slashed uh, and then you'll eventually get rid of it that way. And, of course, if you get a good um, thick sward of, um, of grass growing there, then the gorse is less likely to be a problem. But it will take a lot of persistence to get rid of. And, obviously, if you've got acreage, um, it'll be a lot of work. And if you are going to spray it uh, with Roundup, I wouldn't be spraying out in the air. I would still be cutting and painting. And painting, yeah. Yeah, yeah. which yeah, is yeah. going to be a big job. But you do it in the summer, not, not at this time of the year. In fact, Roundup doesn't tend to work terribly well on semi-dormant plants. It works far better on something that's actively growing. So late spring would be a good time to hit the gorse. I would have thought if I was going to use a, um, uh, a weed aside. And it's a, bit li- it's a bit like blackberries. It just <coughs> comes, you think you've got rid of it and it comes back again. Yeah, well, they're there as well. 
well, I noticed. Yeah, yeah. So it sounds to me Who like you've got... Who owns this piece of land, Vic? Sorry? Who owns this piece of land? Unfortunately, us. <laughs> so you do have to do something well, I've with never it. Seen it. I've never seen it for hundreds of years until the, uh, last Sunday. Oh, and the other thing about it is it's exposed to all weather. Yeah. And uh, the next problem is, <clears throat> okay, you said grass to grow. Well, I don't think you're going to get anything to grow there. And the other thing of it is it's covered in pebbles, pebbles. <coughs> it's like it's like gold mining territory if it isn't very close to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I was wondering, I don't want to grow grass there. I was wondering, I, I thought to turn it into a bloody great Japanese garden is that much water there. <laughs> yeah, but it won't be there in the summer, Vic. It'll have disappeared. Well, I don't know. I can't tell you that because I don't know where it's coming from. Yeah, but it, look, it no, doesn't no. matter where it's coming from. In Australia, we just don't get free-running water going across paddocks in the summer. It just doesn't happen. So I'm quite convinced it'll disappear. Yeah, and I'm really wondering what... So what it used to be used as a while back, apparently, as a a pine plantation. Yeah. And that was about the only thing. But I'm just wondering what else could be put in place of that. Well, there's no reason why you couldn't put in eucalypts. Um, I mean, it sounds to me like it's sort of that sort of... River red gums. Yeah. River you know, red gums. Yeah. And, well, and of course, the more you get in the way of tree cover over the block, given time, the less the gorse is going to grow well. I mean, it'll still grow in the shade, so you won't, you won't swamp it out But completely. it doesn't grow well in the shade. No, it doesn't grow as well in the shade. So if you can get some big trees on the site, um, and certainly there, there'll um, be a local eucalypt that probably will grow perfectly well if you can work river out which red one. Gum. Yeah, it could do. River red gum. I mean, because it'll it'll cope with both the wet and the dry, and that's your difficulty, Mm. is that you need something that'll cope with the wet and the dry. But, I mean, mean, gorse does like the wet, unfortunately. Mm. The places I know of it really growing rampantly is... New Zealand and Scotland. Yeah, well, exactly. Both wet places. And Scotland, of course, it's native, so it's meant mm. to be there. Uh, New Zealand, <laughs> well, on the other no hand, more, it's, it's not. It's no more attractive in New Zealand, in um, Scotland, in my opinion. No, no. Oh, but, I'm from overseas. Yeah, yes. Yes, it's, oh. na- it's native to uh, Europe. You see a lot of gorse growing around the Mediterranean, in fact, as well. So there's lots of areas around there where it grows. And it's actually quite interesting to take Australian tourists into some of those places because they see these plants that they see as weeds back here, but they're actually in their native habitat. You know, blackberries and gorse and, mm. and, and uh, hawthorn and but all I, those things. But I think blackberries are going to be very interesting because blackberries are held back in Britain by the cold. Yeah. And with global warming, they're not going to be, which yeah. means they will will become a problem there as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah but you know where it comes... You know, Steve, yeah. when it comes to a problem like that, can, because it's such a difficult problem and because it's so much of it, can't the authorities help to clear something like that? Wouldn't they have some kind of plan? No. No, they, they normally just say it's your problem. This flaming, um, they don't... When you look at it, Vic, they don't clear it off their own land. I mean, I've got black. One of the reasons I'm struggling with blackberries is because the council doesn't clear it off the land that they own, and so it what, spreads from what them. About a, what about some kind of state? Look, the only the only thing you might get some help with is if you get in uh, get in touch with land, land care. care. Mm-hmm. They might be able to help you with. And who, who's land care? Who's well? Look, look up land care. Yeah, just find it on the website. Uh, no, 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 it's saying it exists, but who is it? Well, it's a, it's a volunteer organisation. 
not not part of state or no 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 it's a, it's private people who get together uh, to and try and, try and protect and, yeah, the bush yeah and try and reinstate bushland um, and land care might be able to help you and a local land care group will know exactly which what local plants to plant in such a wet space. Mm. Yeah, uh, that's, that's, that's tremendous advice. Yeah. yeah, so go and find out where the local land care group is. There will be one, I'm quite confident. If you're lucky, you, yeah. they might even do a workshop on your property and, and come and help clear it. Yeah. Oh, that'll be great. Because mm. what happens in, in the hot season, the, the, the whole joint gets a fire break cut around it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's sort of like a good, oh, maybe 12, 15 foot wide. Yeah. And uh, every other property around the place is nice and clean. It hasn't got a, one of these plants growing anywhere. It's just this one block. Yeah, well, that one block will infect the others if you don't get on top of it. But the, but the funny part is all the other ones are dry. They're all undulating. Yeah. Sort of nice. Whereabouts like, is this? Sorry? Whereabouts is it? Uh, a place called Smythesdale. I know where Smythesdale is, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you drive past it. It's on the corner of um, Glen, Glen, what do I call that highway? <laughs> Glenburn? No, no. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter, Vic, anyway. Yeah. Anyhow, land care is where you want to go if you want some help. They will be the people to talk to. That's fantastic. Thank you very, very much. That's a pleasure. And the other thing, Vic, just very quickly, a caller has just rung in and said, what about trying some goats? Oh, the trouble with goats is they won't actually kill the gorse. They'll just nibble the tips off it. Yes, yeah. So, because yeah. I know a paddock where there are goats and gorse and you end up with something that looks like Japanese trimmed azaleas. Uh, <laughs> all these sort of mounds of gorse. Uh, so they won't actually get rid of it, uh, the goats. But they, oh, they do keep some of those things in check. But then you've got to have good fencing to keep the goats in. No, no, there's good fencing all around. Well, keep listening because I think we're going to get some more callers with some yeah, advice for you. The goats will never get in there because the stuff grows too close together. Oh, you'd be surprised what goats can get into. Well, I'll tell you what, even a snake's going to have trouble. <laughs> <laughs> keep listening, Vic. All right, we'll Vic, catch our up. next caller wants to make a comment about gorse, so stay Thank listening, okay? Thank you very much. I appreciate it. All okay, right. bye. Right, bye. So next up, we have our very good friend, AB, online. Good morning, AB. Hey, guys. How are you going? We're going well. Great show. I was just calling up about um, Vic's problem. I've never had to deal with gauze, thank mm. God. I deal with everything else, but I'm pretty sure the rabbits wouldn't eat gauze either. No, they don't. Um, but I came across a film recently called uh, Fools and Dreamers, and I don't know if anyone's heard of it, but it's... Um, it was about a guy called Hugh Wilson, who's I think he's in his 70s now, and he came up with the idea of um, creating a reserve in New Zealand, and um, it's on the east coast of the South Island, and it was absolutely gorse-infested, like to the absolute extreme. And they, he's a horticulturalist himself, and they were just going to create this um, amazing reserve. And, and, and the only piece of land that they came across that was um, going to be any good was this um, Hinawai Reserve. And um, a few um, people put money into it. And essentially, instead of chopping out the gauze, um, which I know can just be such an ongoing problem, they ended up just planting trees and letting the forest take over because the gauze need sunshine to survive and they just will not survive in even partly shaded conditions. And if anyone hops on and and checks out the film, Fools and Dreamers, you can um, download it on YouTube and watch it. 
Um, it's not very long. And it, th- this whole area, I think it's like 1,500 hectares or more, wow. um, has just been taken back over by the forest and no problem whatsoever with the gauze. The gauze just died off. Hmm. Yeah, look, I could see that working in New Zealand, but I reckon this really, really buckshotty, dreadful soil that Vic's talking about up at Smilesdale, I I think he's going to struggle even to get a proper forest going. It's going to be half the problem. And, of course, our eucalypts tend to be thinner canopy. That water might help, though. Might, but... It depends on how often it's there. You know, Vic's and it, not and sure. And I guess it also depends on what he wants to do with the land. I mean, if he was using it for agriculture, then he might not want a whole forest. No, well, I don't think so he's doing that. Uh, I think I got the sense from what he was talking about that it's just a, um, a noose around his neck that he's trying to deal with. Uh, so I don't think he's in, intending to go into agriculture <laughs> specifically. I'm definitely going to look up that film, though. That yeah. sounds fabulous. Yeah, it sounds really yeah, good. The, the, the film is really good, but yeah, I mean, as you were saying, land care is definitely the oh, look, to get on. I, I think a good land care of, group will help Vic yeah, no end. Yeah, and, and there's all sorts of um, programs that they've got for controlling gauze. So um, I, I know in Tassie they're, they're using, oh, I can't remember what they're using, some sort of bio-control agent to mm. um, get on top of it. So, yeah, I guess it'll be whatever is relevant for that area. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. I just thought it was just a, a, another... I suppose a softer approach. But when you think about it, AB, I'm sure you're right because you do see gorse taking over in very cleared areas. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it is sort of an agricultural pest more than a forest pest, Mm. certainly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it might be a case where he could try a section um, planting a few trees. I mean, depending on on the soil, he could even try that, you know, the deep planting technique. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sure that would be fine with eucalypts, but that would depend on the soil. But, yeah, I mean, it's something that he could have a multi-pronged approach to, I suppose. Okay. Yeah. All right. Fantastic. Yeah. All Thank right. you, AB. Leave you to it. Just All right. Leave you to the, the good work, guys. Good on you, AB. Okay. Bye. Bye. Right. We've had uh, two queries from the outside line. Firstly, a caller from Point Cook has a problem in the soil. She removed a crabapple tree two years ago, has since planted a small mauve blue daisy plant near where the crabapple was originally. She's noticed that the soil has a white, small, sticky, round ball about the size of a polystyrene ball. It was also in the soil when she removed the crabapple tree. The little white balls are very sticky, like toffee, um, wondering what they could possibly be. It's probably a fungus of some sort or another. I was going to say fungus. Yeah, but it's probably quite benign. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's probably so living off the debris. No, it's, it's, I don't think it's anything to worry about. I mean, the soil is full of fungal things, and 90% of them, possibly even more, are perfectly benign and, in fact, important because they help rot down material and stuff. And it's likely living on the dead roots of the crab apple. I was, that's yes. what I was going to say. It'll yeah. be the dead roots of the yeah, and, and once that's gone, probably it'll disappear. Yeah, but in the meantime, I can't see that it's going to cause any particular problems. No, I mean, just mulch over it. Yeah. So I would just leave it there and ignore it uh, because I really don't think it's one of the nasties. Uh, it's just living off the dead tissue that's exactly. in the ground. And so in it'll fact, be rotting it's it. doing a good job. Yeah, it'll actually get, turn it into uh, humus that will st- be of use to the soil. So, yep. Yep. so I wouldn't worry about it. I think it's perfectly all right. I mean, I haven't seen a fungus of that description myself, um, but 
I very rarely worry about any sort of fungi, toadstools or anything like that that come up or do their thing around the garden. Mm. I like um, them. And some of them can be exceedingly attractive and some of them can be very beneficial. And if you start fiddling, I mean, fungicides are one of those things that we don't talk about a lot because they sound sort of benign. They're only killing fungi, but they're not, they're generalist um, killers. So they kill the good fungi as well as the bad fungi. Yes. Uh, so when you put down fungicides, uh, you can be disbalancing the ground probably even more so than you do with insecticides and, mm. and, and weedicides. Mm. So I, agree. I tend to avoid using fungicides unless it's absolutely necessary, and that's normally only with things in pots anyway, uh, because I want my ground to be full of all sorts of interesting fungal sort of communities. Mm. Yeah. So there you go. So I wouldn't worry about it. Okay. Now, the other caller... Um, has a vegetable plot uh, in a raised uh, two-foot-six-inch uh, bed. She thinks rabbits are eating the vegetables. What can she do to deter the rabbits? Nothing other than fencing it in so the yeah. rabbits can't And can can't I also get say that if it's two-foot-six above the ground... It's not necessarily rabbits. It could well be rats. Yes, it could be rats. I would, my experience, it's more likely to be rats than rabbits. Mm. And, the, and what I had to do, I, mine... That's how high is that? Is that two foot six? Easily, yeah, or more. Because um, mine are uh, hip height above the ground, mm. and the rats were getting into that, and they ate all my beetroot, as I've mentioned yes. several times, because yes. it yes. makes me With huge so annoyance. angry. Yes. Yeah. And I found that I had other things growing that they could, like I had in the in the ground. I had rocket, and they were going up the rocket and getting into my raised beds. So if it's rats, you've got one, it's worth trying to kill them, trap mm. them, and two, you need to make sure that they can't get access. Mm. And that it's an, it could be an access problem. And the other thing is, if they're raised, you can put stakes around them and actually put um, some sort of netting yeah. to make it yeah, harder for them to get but in. But yes, exclusion is probably the, the only way. Them, yeah. Yeah. Exclusion and trapping. You can't trap rabbits, or at least you can, but... It's yeah, they're a lot harder to trap. But, um, but a rat I've trap can be put down quite easily. I've, I caught five rats in my first round that all went to a friend who's got snakes. Mm. And that was very successful, I thought. The snake was happy. I was happy. He had to do the work. He wasn't quite as happy. <laughs> <laughs> but they've come back. Yeah, and they will come back. They breed back yes. again. And certainly if you're in the sort of situation like I am where you've got compost pits, you've got chickens and ducks... I mean, you know, all those things are going to bring rats. rats. And yeah. I know every time I empty the one of the compost bins, I'll find a rat nest in underneath it somewhere. Do you find it's worse? I've had problems with that sort of stuff more over winter yeah. than I do Oh, you do, the because they're yeah. looking for food. Yeah, they're looking yeah. for and, food. And shelter. Um, and I don't know how many dead rats I find in, uh, in the pond that I've got in the chook yard for the ducks. You know, it's just a, a black plastic thing that's couple of feet deep uh, and I'll go out there to deal with things and there's another rat floating around in the water and I think well that's the way I'm dealing with my rats in a way uh, so I keep throwing dead ones back into the compost so I recycle the dead rats back into the compost <laughs> well why not well they're organic they rot exactly. down oh. and, and it's surprising they disappear completely you know, when I do, you, do you put um, meat and things in your compost? Uh, if it's, I don't have a lot of meat scraps to put in, but you know, if if there's, <coughs> if I've got my compost bin in the kitchen, and there's been some fat off chops or or whatever, in it goes. See, I don't put it in my compost, but I do put it in my worms. 
<laughs> yes, well, you could, if you've got a worm farm, but I, I don't bother with the worm farm thing. I think I've got enough going on without having to feed mm. worms as well. Mm. And, in fact, when I empty the chook yard, because that gets built up with uh, kitchen scraps and, and I collect all the stuff from the little local IGA supermarket. They put all their vegetable scraps in a box and I take all that home. The things that chooks won't eat go straight into the compost bin. The rest goes in with the chooks. And it slowly builds up over a period of time. When I empty that out, uh, we get in and dig it out, <coughs> there are literally millions of worms mm. in there. So, mm. yeah, so, uh, yeah, so I, I And do you try and save the worms or do you just put them into your garden? They just go out into the garden. Yeah, mm. I did. The, I emptied my compost bin the <coughs> other day and I had the birds um, sitting there watching me. So oh, when sure. I was going backwards yeah. and forwards with the loads of They were pouncing yeah. they were going straight in. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so there you go. So, um, yeah, so I have rat problems at home, but um, some of them get dealt with (laughs) and they do it themselves. I'm glad I don't stand there watching them drown, but uh, you find them the next day. Yes. And and certainly if I lock the chooks up late at night, you'll hear the scurrying of a rat going up and over the top of the, the, the chook yard and what have you. There, there's plenty of them there because there's little to food. Mm. That's right. We don't have many inside anymore either since we've got the cat. Yeah. But you know... We have, don't have rats for ages, and then all of us, you know, when you've got one, the cat knows exactly where that thing is. Oh, yes. And one night it sat in front of that fridge, and I think it took, it slept there, and the next morning it actually um, got, well, not a rat, but a mouse. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. I've had to actually, the dog and the cat both work together <laughs> <laughs> round them up. It's been amazing in the lounge room. We got behind a wall unit and the dog knew it was there. So the dog's going like this and the cat's waiting and the dog actually scared the mouse out and the cat <laughs> That's what I call team effort. It was great. It's starting to sound a bit like the Colosseum. You know? <laughs> Throw another Christian out. You know? Oh, goodness me. I was going to tell you something, but I'll laugh. <laughs> I got one one day for my head. Oh, no. Yeah. Okay. I got out of the rat trap, out of the mouse trap. But yeah. yeah. I managed to find where the the mice were coming in and I've managed to stop them. I used to get them in my drawers, which Mm. I didn't like. Yeah, Yeah, yuck. Mm. Mm. Okay. I got them through little holes in the sink and I've actually, um, round the toilet and if you've got underneath that they can get up, I've put, uh, this is a good way for recycling plastic supermarket bags, they actually fit in around the groove, so you block it off and the mice and rats I've, can't get I've in. I've used those, you know, you get those metal things oh, to scrub in your pots. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah, yeah. Scourers yeah. Are good. And, it, and yeah. what, I've, what I've found is they're all coming in where the plumbing comes yes. into the house. Oh, oh yeah. 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 Undoubtedly. Yeah. Oh, I don't know how we got onto that topic, but anyhow, there you go. <laughs> it's still organic. Yeah, it's still organic. Everything's organic. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, we, uh, you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. We're running through until 9.15, so if you do want to jump on the phones, you do have time to uh, ask a gardening question. Uh, the number, 94190155 to speak to Stephen, Virginia or Sue. Or if you'd like to have a chat to Carol on the outside line, 94198377. Sue, next couple of plants. Oh, I brought in a um, Fabalium, um, beautiful Australian native that grows in, well, I actually grow mine in part shade. Um, I've brought in Squamulosum, and it's endemic to eastern Victoria. Quite a few different forms out there with uh, different shapes. 
not shaped leaves, but um, smaller leaves, uh, larger leaves. It's rather a subtle colour for a verbalium because they're normally a really vibrant yellow, aren't they? So yes. This one's sort of cream. Yes, it's like a creamy yellows. A lot of the fabaliums, like you're saying, are that bright, yeah, they're really whitey intense. eye, I think it's called um, chocolate stems and the dark yellow. Yep. This is actually really lovely. And I've got um, three of them in my garden that I've had for quite a while. The last one I've actually planted was an experiment and I've actually got it in um, full sun. Okay. Um, but I keep it well uh, pruned because it's in an area that I've squashed a lot of plants in, so I keep it... So- at, Every bit of your garden it's is squashed. Yes, it is <laughs> I agree with that. I know when I went to do my weeding, um, Stephen was talking about, you know, mulching. It's so hard because I've got bulbs and I've got irises and I was pruning roses and stepped, squashed the irises because oh. I got caught on the rose bush and right. went, yeah. Um, but it, it will tolerate full sun. But what I do with Australian natives too is I found that if you tip prune your Australian natives, on a regular basis, you actually encourage the roots to go down further. Um, I hadn't grown a lot of Australian natives uh, until I started my job, so I didn't realise that the foliage actually grows a lot quicker than the root system versus South African plants. So um, a friend of mine who had a nursery, not where I work, was telling me that he tip prunes all of his Australian native plants in October while the soil's still wet, and when you tip cut a plant they're saying I need food so they're you know going the down further up. and mm. the soil is moist and I haven't lost very many Australian native plants since I've done that okay um but I've done that with this plant in full sun and it's it's uh, coped really well mm, it's um, a charming little thing it is and they get to um out where dad is in Hillsville they actually grow wild out there yeah. but quite a few different forms some of them are actually got like a really long um, skinny leaf. I, I really love them. They're part of the, I think, Leoninas. Mm. The Leoninas have got um, uh, the similar flower. We do a le- Leonema called Golden Fleece, which is that bright yellow, Stephen, like almost this yeah. colour as well. Yeah, very pretty. I like Australian natives that fit into, I've got a cottage garden, so I'm after things that are sort of work. And it's lovely too because you've got your flowering for your natives. Um, through winter and spring before your summer flowering salvias and mm. budleys and things. So you can have colour in your garden all year for your bees and birds mm. too. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. Nice Be- Before we go to the next plant, we'll go to our next caller and we have Claire in Chelsea. Good morning, Claire. Uh, good morning. Um, I Just ringing up, I'd like to know whether showy bossia, bossia cinerea, handles root disturbance. Um, the reason for the question is, there's a bush block in Chelsea, 3,500 square metres, um, that a developer has bought. And it's, we got an ESO on, on the land. And uh, the developer wants to build nine townhouses oh, and lift the um, 40 specimens, pot them up, and then put them back into community property. Um, I have read that they don't handle root disturbance. Yeah, look, I'd be surprised if they'll shift, <laughs> I have to say. Um, uh, you know, there's not many native plants that actually are adaptable to being dug and shifted when they're established. So I don't like his chances uh, of moving them. But um, I suspect he doesn't care. No, he probably doesn't. He's, he'd probably be quite happy it for them to die It sounds good on paper. Yeah, yes. Yeah, so well, this is what the ecological 
report says yes. mm. um, that they plan to do is lift um, various species. Yeah, look, uh, some things will shift that are natives and certainly overseas they are growing quite a number of native plants that they're growing and then root pruning them and moving them and, you know, you see big eucalypts being shifted in China so, you know, there's all sorts of things that can be done but my gut feeling is that they're just trying to cover their tracks and uh, are probably not going to have much success with these things um, and certainly they'd need proper professionals getting in there to do the work too and not just somebody with a backhoe. Um, the Bayside Community Nursery said, oh, we get 50% losses when mm. we plant showy bosia out into the um, bushland reserves. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. So uh, trying to lift them and move them, I reckon you'll have an even higher attrition rate. Okay, great, guys. So, uh, yeah. yeah, that would be my attitude to it, I have to yeah. say. So I think it's a sad story, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah, they're going to end up with nine townhouses and no showy bossiers. Exactly. Okay, thank you very much. Okay, Cheers. bye. Um, back to your plants. So, um, what I've, else have you got there? I've got a Croia pink starlet. So it's a Croia exolata, but it's actually a very low form. Okay. So it, it's very, probably the hardiest, or one of the hardiest, where uh, pink starlet and um, Croia edna walling, I've found the best Croias. I don't have a lot of success with them. In my garden, normally they'll up and die in a couple of years when I plant them. Mm. I'm not sure if it gets too wet in winter, but this one I can grow quite successfully. It's a nice pink starry flower. It is, it is. Really and it's, um, it only grows to about 30 centimetres, which is really, really lovely. And you get your, your flowers all through spring. It probably does about four months of um, flowering. Yeah, well, that's really good lovely. value. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And is this one a sun lover or a slightly shadier aspect? No, it can go into full sun yep. too. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Yeah, fantastic so little plant. We've actually got the stock garden where those are growing out the back is in full sun, which also gets the frost on it as yeah. well. So, they, so they're cold hardy too. Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes, they're a charming but group of natives, the crowies. They that, are. That I did bossier. There is just, uh, you know, that is probably a rare and threatened plant. Like yesterday was rare and threatened day. Okay. And I took a rare and threatened walk in the botanic gardens. Were you rare and threatened at any point in the walk? I was wet. (laughs) (laughs) Rare and wet. Yes. (laughs) But, you know, there was one plant that we took people to see, which was a a Grevillea rosemarinfolia, which is a common Grevillea, but this one is called Lara's dwarf, Lara dwarf. And it's extinct in the wild mm. because it was found along railway lines out of Geelong. And it was, and luckily, people from the Botanic Gardens went and sourced, um, identified it and blah and blah and propagated it. And then railway workers dumped a whole lot of stuff on it. Um, and, and it's just, it disappeared and it hasn't been seen again since. Mm. And, there's, and uh, there's another one which <laughs> John Arnott told me. I described this plant to him and I said, John, what is it? I can't find it anywhere. You know, I've looked on Vic Flora, blah. He said, oh, I think that might be geranium number two, pink geranium number two. And I said, what? He said, oh, it's pink geranium number two. It was considered to be extinct and it's been refound and it's in the herbarium waiting to be renamed. Yeah. So, so this yeah, one so is so rare it hasn't even got a name. An Australian native. It's an Australian yeah, native. Yeah, there's some lovely ones. And, yeah. and there's just, uh, and the rare and threatened beds in, in the botanic gardens, both botanic gardens are just amazing. You know, yeah. There's so many things. And nearly every one of those plants has been collected 
by people from the botanic gardens. Mm, wow. Mm. You know. This book that you gave me on Western Plains, they had pictures there where the geraniums are growing uh, wild in rock faces, crevices and things mm. like that. Mm. Mm. Yeah, beautiful. Fantastic. Okay, next we're <coughs> off to Mornington and we have uh, Silvana online. Good morning. Oh, good morning. Um, I have a question um, in regards to my uh, acacia floribunda with the galls in the tree. Mm. I'm just wondering if the tree, it's uh, it's at least, it's over, it's 20 years old, and I'm just wondering if I can save it. I have trimmed quite a bit of the branches off because I didn't realise what it was because I'm a novice gardener, but now I do know. I'm just wondering what I should do. All right. Um, well, an acacia floribunda at 20 years old is a um, an old oldish tree. plant. Mm. Um, so it is probably coming towards the end of its useful life anyway. So, okay. So I think you need to consider that. And it might well be, if you like that particular species, then I, will go, I would go out and buy yourself a fresh young plant. Uh, mm-hmm. You can keep cutting out the galls and things out of the tree, but the problem is if any of them are in really big branches, you're going to potentially end up with a malformed tree because you're going to have to cut out a huge chunk. Do you know the galls? I know of them, but I don't know much about them. Uh, yeah. But there's certainly no real treatment for them. You can't kill the galls other than to cut them out. It's a bit like the gall wasp thing well, in And, of course, trees. the gall wasp in citrus is actually a native Australian... Yes, it is. It's a native creature that, so it's, uh, it's we, that we don't like. Unfortunate, but it's, it <laughs> yeah. is yeah, so it's to endemic. And most acacias do tend to get borers and galls yeah. and, and oh. miners and God knows what else they don't get at, uh, over a period of time because they're pioneer plants. Yeah. They tend to come up in areas that have been disturbed. They've got nitrogen-fixing bacteria on their roots, so they put nitrogen into the soil, and then they give way to the more long-term plants as time comes on. So you plant a lot of those Australian acacias as short-term, quick-growing, attractive trees, but you get ready to take them out again in due course. So I was, I was going to ask, would you recommend um, the same tree? Because it it's been a fantastic tree. To if say. you like it, there's no reason why you can't plant mm. another one. Uh, but okay. just keep in mind that in another 20 years, that tree will probably be starting to lose its vigour and be full of galls and it's God a, knows what else. It's a very good time to yeah. be buying wattles too because you can actually see what they look like. And there's some yeah. oh. beautiful wattles around. Mm. Mm. And, oh, and look, I was going to ask one more question. Yeah. Um, um, I've got a side of the house, and I'd like to um, plant, it doesn't get much sun, some small trees. Could you recommend any small that don't grow too big, but I can just keep them back and... Um, when you say small trees, everybody has a different idea about what they oh. consider small. So can oh. you give us some sort of sense of the size you'd like to grow these plants to? Oh, um, oh probably about two metres. Yeah, so we're talking shrubs, really. We're not talking shrubs. trees, yes. yes. Okay. Um, Grevilleas. Yeah, there's a lot of grevilleas. You could grow uh, quite a number of the larger corias. Uh, there's oodles of native plants that will grow in those conditions. Whereabouts is your garden again? Oh, I'm in Mornington. Oh, in Mornington, but, yeah. But 
this side of the house doesn't get any sun. Yeah. Uh, only, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's oodles of plants that will grow not in those a, things. Not a lot with, that'll survive with no sun. Yeah. Um, there's oh, a, no, no, there's, there is some sun. It's the morning, it does get the morning sun. Yeah, well, yeah. if that's um, the case, that opens up a whole range of stuff. And your pomodiris okay. would do all right in a position like that, the Australian native, and it has um, yellow flowers at this time of the year. And yeah. they're yeah, just Lenigeris. coming out, and yeah. they're just beautiful. Yeah, the pomodiris yeah. would be worthwhile having a look at. Um, Okay. And there's a South African shrub that I use for shady spots like that that might well do the job, a thing called Micaea Bella. Oh, yes. 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 Fantastic shrub, really glossy dark green leaves, which are nice all year round. And you get these quite large trumpet-shaped flowers that are actually white, but they have purple veins through them, so the whole effect is sort of mauve. Lilac, yeah. Um, It's a beautiful plant. And Micaea Bella, you can hack it back and it will come back again. I'm surprised it grows for you. It, it does get frosted slightly, mm-hmm. but it always comes back again. And certainly down in the morning to Peninsula, it wouldn't. It'd be uh, as happy as yeah, happy. wouldn't worry about the cold there. I was actually oh, surprised too. It doesn't need a lot of water. No, it's very drought So I've got it near a viburnum, and mm. it's grown. It's actually spread about two and a half metres all along mm. the back fence underneath a locust tree. Yep. It's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, yeah. so Micaea Bella is definitely worthwhile okay. looking at. And in fact, I don't quite understand why that plant hasn't ended up being something that you'd buy in a six-inch pot from Bunnings, but we, you don't see it around oh, that The much. day that I found it, remember I told you, Virginia, we went straight, she said, oh, where, because she hadn't seen yeah. it, and I didn't know that it was... Uh, so difficult. To, it's it's yeah. difficult to get. It's an, an easy plant. It's yeah. not hard to propagate. It, it right. propagates well, really easily. It flowers young. It has all the characteristics you'd think that you would have for a supermarket plant, uh, mm-hmm. and yet you don't see it around all that terribly much. Uh, I have mm-hmm. it a little bit at my nursery. I grow a few of them. I'm not sure whether I've got any stock at the moment, but I will be doing some more cuttings in due oh, course. I was, just, I was going to ask. I know I shouldn't, but this, uh, I have. I am growing a chestnut tree. I bought a small plant. Yes. Does it need? Another, can I do it just with one tree or do I need to? No, chestnuts don't need a cross pollinator. Oh, good. uh, But they do grow to a big tree and they take many years to start fruiting. They're big. where I bought it from said it would only take five years and I've already had it. It's growing well. I've had it for two years. Yeah. Excellent. So I'm looking forward Go for it. to the next three years. Yes. <laughs> Best of luck with it. Uh, if he um, said it okay. would only take five years, I wonder whether it was actually a grafted chestnut or a selected variety because well, if it was the seedling one, you couldn't guarantee that. Oh, no, it's just I bought it as a cutting um, um, from a market. I was in Foster, actually, and it was mm. just... And I thought I'd give it a go. I'm always in for Well, good luck go. with it. <laughs> yeah, good why luck not with indeed. It. All right. Yes. Okay, thank you very much. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I wonder if she'll end up with a village smithy as well. Uh, <laughs> we must try and get through a couple of yes. uh, queries. First up, we're going to Ken in queue. Good morning, Ken. Oh, good morning. Good morning. Um, <clears throat> You'll have to be fairly quick, Ken. Yeah, sure. Um, so... Do you want some gel and wax slips, the, the giant form? I, I've been trying to contact you and haven't been able to. Yes, that would be lovely, Ken, because we've actually got some of those up and going, but I've got a new method now. I reckon I might be able to get that uh, going for you. That oh, sounds great. really good. Yeah, you... My bush has been flowering since June. He's <coughs> got, Ken's got a special um, one, don't you, Ken, in your garden? Yeah. Ken, can you leave your number at, with, with, the, with Louise on the other line? Uh, yeah, sure. Okay, well, I'll, I'll put you back to Louise. Just hold on, Ken. Yeah, sure. Okay. He's got a special... All right. Uh, I've got a couple of queries from the outside line. We've got to try and clear in yep. a hurry. 
Uh, caller in North Baldwin would like to know if Sue's workplace is retail and what the address is. Uh, we're at 110 Clegg Road in Mount Evelyn. Um, it's a wholesale nursery, so we have a few um, plants that you can choose from a- at the workplace, and it's open through the week from 8 until 4.30 and, and on a Saturday morning. I go there on Saturday mornings and yeah. other people. It's Actually, a good place to go. I think 8.30 until 3.30 on Saturday. Saturday. And then we have a sale twice a year too, which we'll, we'll have one coming up in November where we discount the um, old stock too. Okay. Yep. Uh, a caller in St Kilda has black plastic on a garden bed and it's covered with uh, black wood chip mulch. Can the black wood chips be placed into a compost? What else can you get? Uh, how else can you get rid of the black wood chips and what is in the black colouring? The black plastic has to go. Yes, yes. Exactly. Uh, The black wood chips, though, are another kettle of fish. Um, I'm not sure what they use to colour it, to be honest. No, but I'm I wouldn't assuming be happy. I'm, I'm not happy about it, but I'm, I'm assuming it's not something toxic. But... How long it would take to rot down in compost, it would, it would take ages, oh, it I would, would have thought. Yeah. Um, so the only thing I can think to do is just put it back over the garden beds once you get rid of the, the, um, the black, black plastic. plastic which absolutely nat- must go. Yeah, but then just let nature take its course, because in due course, the wood chips will rot away. Yep. And that would be the best bet. And then you can throw some other mulch over the top of it as well so it's less obvious mm. why anybody wants coloured mulch. I've got no idea. Well, but why anyway. would you put black plastic on your bed? I mean, all soil needs oxygen in it. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Another thing you can do um, that I've done before if you want to get rid of it is you can burn that in your fireplace if mm. you've got a closed in. But you don't know what the black colouring is. If you've got a closed door, though, you're not going to get the... Oh, mind you, it would go up the flue, wouldn't it? Yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah. It's still polluting yeah. the atmosphere. Yeah. Mm. I wouldn't I've be just burning done it, it just with normal tan bark, mm. using yeah. it as firelight as starters. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so no, I, I would just I'd put it back I'd be scattering it, you know, yeah. around and the garden. Or, or the other one would be to pile it into a corner and just let it rot down by itself in the back yeah. corner. Yeah, if you've got it's somewhere right. you can take stop it. Yeah. Yeah. But if you threw some lime over it and, uh, and some manure, uh, it would possibly help rot it down too, so it might be worthwhile looking at that. Okay, a caller from East Malvern would like to know when she should prune a heliotrope. Uh, it's flowering now. It's going to flower for months and months and yeah, months. so you're going to have to cut flowers off, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, just prune it now. Yeah, yeah. And don't prune it too hard unless it's looking rubbishy and you need to prune it. Mm. They can get quite leggy if you don't prune them, so it's better to be firm. Yeah, mm. yeah don't be frightened of it. Okay, and finally, a caller from North Fitzroy has tried to grow hardened bergia, but the leaves always get a rust colour and look dreadful. Uh, they've noticed that other... Um, Plants in the area also have this problem. Yeah, it's a, it's a, I can't pronounce the disease that gets onto them, um, but you need to use a fungicide like Mangazeb to knock it out if yeah. it gets onto the leaves. Um, but if there's a lot of it around, grow something else. Yeah, plan B is always to move on to a different plant. I mean, there's always yeah. other plants you can be growing. So yeah. if, you, if you're getting a constant problem with a certain plant in a certain environment... Plant something else, you're right, Virginia. And if you're looking for a climate, plant the star jasmine if in Fitzroy. It'll be very happy. It'll yeah, cope and with, yeah. it'll cope with the shade. Nothing seems to affect um, spermums and mm. star jasmines. They're, mm. they're, they're nice. pretty tough. Yeah. And, and they're a pleasant plant. I mean, they're a bit hackneyed, I guess, because it, they're everywhere. They've got a good smell. Yeah. The other thing, if you want a, a climber, you can grow the uh, Hibertia scandens if you're looking for an Australian native very good. with the yellow yeah, yes. lovely flower. flower and yeah. you don't tend to get... You can still get disease like a... 
uh, rust um, on that as well. Yeah. Okay, we've run out of time. Goodness uh, me, again. Yes, again. A big, big thank you to uh, Louise and Carol who've been manning the phones this morning. A thank you, of course, to the team who've been here all morning giving up their free time. And uh, we will be back next Sunday morning at 7.30. So until then, bye for now. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.